We drop a bit of science into the well of randomness to try to answer the age-old question in fighting games, when's the right time to rip that invincible reversal? Also, Dragon Ball Fighters tournaments keep getting shut down, Ryu isn't getting shut down quite as much as he used to, Kage will make you a better player but might not get you better results, Street Fighter V may or may not be on its last leg, and more in this week's jam-packed episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect! Alright, and welcome to another episode of the Event Hubs podcast. We are on time this week. We are back from Capcom Cup. We are rested. We are enthused and energetic. Uh, I, I hope. Um, <laughs> how are you doing over there? I am very enthused and very energetic. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we've got the uh, post-Christmas lull here. We've had our sponsored content removed from Street Fighter V. Oh, no. We, everyone's so sad. Yeah. It's such it's... a tragedy, man. I wish, like... <laughs> You know, I've been playing, so I've been playing Kage, and um, I, I personally don't really care. I think it's a, hey, cool, it's an extra eight fight money, because I still only play in training mode when I play online, so I don't use the extra stages. But I get eight fight money, and that's fine, I'll take it. I don't really care what my character looks like, but uh, the main reason, I, I, I only spent like the, the fight money to get them, so I only have one costume, and then colors one and two. And like they're kind of boring, so I use the uh, the sponsored content because it allows me access to all ten costumes. And if you're playing Poverty Street Fighter Five like I am, mm. it actually works out for you. Plus eight more fight money, hot dog. That's a that's a win across the board. So I'll take it. Yeah, I I am very much playing Poverty Street Fighter Five right now at this moment in time because I lost all my fight money when I went to the PC. And uh, when we were at Capcom Cup, John like you know texted me or called me and said, "Hey, can I use a hundred fight money, a uh, hundred thousand fight money to to buy Kage?" I'm like, "I don't care. I'm never using the PlayStation again." Uh, oh, because we had the PlayStation yeah. in your room. Yeah, we wanted yeah. to access the character as as soon as possible. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's I uh, it's I had so much fight money and it's like I had more than I knew what to do with and I'm just like, oh great. And now I have nothing and it's like I want my stages i want this i don't want to pay for everything because it's you know but anyway um but getting into it actually our, our, our major news here that's kind of been hitting the website and has people talking is if this is the final season of street fighter 5 oh and let me introduce myself real quick i am john catalyst gray and with me as always is john velociraptor guerrero Yes. Yeah, now we can get into it. Now, now you can't season. yell at us for not introducing ourselves. You see what we did there? Yeah, we, we option selected it there. Le much like, actually, Capcom, I think, is option selecting Street Fighter V's potential final season. Uh, and I, so what I feel like is that this is potentially a way for Capcom to flush out all their content they have remaining for Street Fighter V if they wish to. Yeah, that's a key there. Like, do they want to keep this going? Let's say they have 10 characters ready, right? Uh, if they reveal all the silhouettes, if they you know do things how they've always done, um, they're basically limiting themselves on what they can do at that point in time. Now, um, if they only have four characters, it works the same way, right? Like they, they can basically do whatever they want to now without any kind of commitments on the table. And, and I would say that the, the reason how come I, I kind of think like they might have some more characters in tow, more so than they've had in the past, is we knew about Sakura and Sagat um, long before they actually were released or even announced. Mm -hmm. We knew that they were being play tested for quite some time, and they just kind of just sat there in the background, right? Um, so I would say that that, that what will what will dictate these option selects here is how well Street Fighter Six or whatever game they have, you know, how well that development goes. Uh, and we spoke about that last week pretty extensively, but. Also, the next generation consoles, how 
on track they are for hitting like the 2020 you know release dates because Microsoft and Sony have their own timelines and own own agendas and I'm sure Capcom's like a very small little you know notation on there like how that impacts them right uh, but sony and microsoft are not going to mess around and like say oh well you want street fighter 6 to come out we better you know put our cancel console out now <laughs> like no that's not going to happen so you know capcom has to adjust to that and if like if both companies say hey we're not releasing in 2020 we're going to do 2021 now um maybe capcom wants to roll out another season and hence why they're kind of not saying anything they're playing things really close to the vest so that's kind of like i just had this thought like that last week um uh, after we recorded the pot of all things and i'm like yeah there, there's a good chance i think they're kind of option selecting this where where they're not going to show what their cards are until they know more of what's going on with you know the big dogs in the room basically or the big elephants if it is an option select, it's really working on me. Because when I look at all this, everything that you say about the idea that Street Fighter Six, uh, you know, this is preparation for six, and that five could be winding down, and this might be the last season. Yep, it totally could be the case. But at the same time, it might be that they are realizing that this is how things are kind of done now, and they're transitioning over, and that wouldn't necessarily be an implication that Street Fighter V is ending. It's just that it's changing, and that we could still have another full two years of this. Like, say that we're going to a free-to-play model, and and we're going to do where it's all about you know getting fight money in these new ways, and, and we're seeing a lot of changes. I think that... Um, the, the payout for fight money is much lower than it has been on weekly on the weekly basis, right? It went yeah. from like you can get like three thousand, thirty five hundred. Well, originally it was like twice that. It was like six to eight K and then it dropped down this year to three three to four K. And then now it was like nine hundred and fifty on Friday. And uh, but then there was a, a Shadowloo soldier that you could fight, but you could only fight him one time as opposed to three. Mm-hmm. And he was slightly cheaper, and or or it was like the Abigail costume was slightly cheaper. I don't remember the specifics, but they dialed it. They dialed the costs down a little bit, and they they dialed the payout down quite a bit. So you're seeing a lot of different changes that could have something to do with this bigger change that we're speculating about. And that all might just add up to a new formula for Street Fighter V. Of course, with Street Fighter VI in mind, but perhaps not immediately in mind. Maybe it's like they're really caring still about V and they're still looking at, well, we're going to change it around and we're going to do stuff a little bit different and and that's the way it's going to be. But like I say, not necessarily in preparation. It's not like they're just treating this like a guinea pig for six. It's like maybe they're treating it like a guinea pig for for next year for five because they're going to do it for a few more years. It just as easily to me could be that. So I don't I don't know. Um, But it is fun to speculate and it is important that we have all the different avenues that this could be going towards in mind because... I mean, just just to be ready for it. So I, I'm. That's kind of where I stand personally. I'm. I'm very hesitant to say that this is a. Well, this is a clear indicator that we're moving towards this, or that Street Fighter Five is winding down. It might be, but there's an there's a whole other scenario where that's not the case in my mind, and it just as well might be that. Yeah, Capcom just put the biggest option select we've ever seen in the fighting game community on the table. What are they going to do? What what outcome is going to come up? Uh, and and that, again, I'm I'm speculating hardcore there. I, we really don't know. It, it's interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting time. Uh, it's it's good that they can kind of they haven't made a commitment to the point where where they're stuck. You know, and and you know, 2021 rolls around, and you know the new hardware hits, and they have to keep updating Street Fighter Five, right? That's not the case. They've only promised like up till 2020. So they're in a pretty good spot. You know, uh, one other thing that and and I'm I'm thinking this might like 20 percent be the likelihood of this being the case. 
But something to think about is they've been changing over to the Street Fighter V model from how they've done things in the past, and they've just been getting their asses kicked by leakers and by data mining. Most recently, we've talked so much about Xkira and how much um, he's predicted and, and how accurate he's been. Then we hit Capcom Cup. I, I, I'm hesitant to say that Xkira is really moving Capcom to change plans up, but it's something that I think is at, worth, uh, at least worth talking about is that maybe they're like, we don't want people to be able to so accurately predict things. Maybe they they had something of a plan and they had this idea to change things around to a different, a different approach for the release of characters in the season pass. And they were able to change it up and they say, well, you know, that might have been uh, something to push them towards doing that, the Xkira stuff, because they can go, all right, this guy's got, <laughs> this guy's seeing a lot of what we want to do. Let's change it up. Let's take credit away from him. Let's get people guessing again, because people are seeing our hands so often before they come out. It's it's very difficult, you know, and, and to, to have much surprise anymore. Uh, obviously, they fell on their own faces with Capcom Cut, but that's its own story. Uh, and so maybe this is to shake things up and to make their release schedule less predictable because they've become, and it's not just Xkira, anybody else that might be data mining, there are plenty out there for all these different games right now. It's a shark tank. Um, so so that's something else that's kind of come across my mind as far as why Capcom might be shaking things up a bit. Hmm. It makes sense to me. Uh, it, it's it's nice to to be unpredictable sometimes, right? It's nice to to not know exactly what's coming. And, and, and we'll, we'll see what the future brings. There's a lot of outcomes here. And again, I'm pretty sure Capcom doesn't even know like the 100% outcome right now of, of what you know Street Fighter V's lifespan is going to be. I would bet the odds are higher of that than they know exactly what's happening, um, just because of, you know the the wild card of of the next generation consoles coming. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Sony and Microsoft again, they have their own agendas that they have to stick to, um, and and yeah. But might you be doing this if you're Capcom? Might you be doing this even if you're not getting ready for Street Fighter Six directly? Like maybe you're just evolving Street Fighter Five because it's time to evolve it. Uh, so for me, like all the signs there are pointing towards let's try this out and see how it works so we can adapt this to the next product. It's kind of like what we talked about with Omega Edition and Street Fighter 4 and then then kind of like not doing any more characters and not many more balance changes and kind of rolling out the costumes. Like to me, it feels not 100% the same, but it feels very similar. And I just have a hard time like with what Capcom's kind of trying and messing around with like that, that ad sponsored stuff was so janky and it generated so little fight money. Like to me, that was a complete like test bed for what they can do in the future. And I just don't see that as a, a, a very firm foundation to build off of for something for street fighter five, like that, that ad content just, it, it seems like something that they were trying for a future game. Fair. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of, of of future games and other stuff in the the history here, we had some interesting developments with Dragon Ball Fighters, and there's been some statements that the game might be kind of a one and done in the fighting game community. Uh, I wanted to add to this a little bit. Um, we know some of the circumstances behind why tournaments were shut down. We just can't go on the record fully because we haven't been given permission to speak openly about these things. We wish we could. We we can. We, you know, we always do if we can go on record. Uh, some things we just kind of have to kind of talk around them a little bit. But um, what you've seen reported on Event Hubs is accurate, but it's not the entire story. Uh, there's a legitimate threat right now to Dragon Ball Fighters tournaments. Uh, it, they could continue to run into issues. Are that, let's just say that, that, 
the tournament organizers, uh, they need to, to dot their I's more and, and cross their T's a little bit more when it comes to tournament planning, and that might resolve the issues. So what we've seen, first of all, people are responding to this because if, if you haven't heard, a lot of tournaments, not a lot, like a, a, handful. a handful of tournaments yeah. now, have been shut down. There, there was a planned Dragon Ball Fighters tournament, I think it was DreamHack Atlanta, and then more recently at Anime Ascension, and uh, perhaps a few in between that are escaping me right now. But those have been shut down. We don't know by whom, but we have a you know, pretty good idea if you just go and kind of read between the, read between the lines. Um, people... People are saying who they think it is, and and regardless, the what you are getting at there is that tournament organizers are going to have to start dotting their I's and crossing their T's a little more, a bit more about having this game on their lineups, um, and and the general kind of initial knee jerk reaction is, oh no, Dragon Ball Fighters tournaments are getting shut down everywhere, and we're never going to see them again. I mean, that's it's possible that that's the direction we're going in. I don't see why that would benefit. Anyone that owns Dragon Ball Fighters, I think that, or the or the rights to the IP, uh, I I think that it's more so that these tournaments have just gone about things a little more traditionally, and and you know the powers that be are demanding more of, um, I guess more of a heads up, more of a contract signing, and uh, but we've seen the game at a many 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 tournaments already. Right, mm-hmm. yes. and it's got its own world tour. So when people go, this might be it for Dragon Ball. I think they're freaking being overreact. They're, they're overreacting. It's it's like they maybe, but there are a lot more pieces I, to this puzzle to come out before yeah. we can just jump to that. I will I will say that I have to be careful with statements I make because it, it paints a really clear picture of what's going on. So I'm gonna dance around this a little bit, but I'll just say that. Uh, there's a company in the fighting game community who's well known for tournaments and the games that they they host. Uh, that would be Bandai Namco, uh, and they've put on a large portion of, of the Dragon Ball Fighters, you know, World Tour and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's possible that the the full usage rights um, for for Bandai Namco have expired to some extent, and that their their free usage of it is not completely there anymore. So these licensing agreements sometimes only last for a year or two. It does depend. Um, I'll, I'll try to be as clear about this as I can be. Uh, again, given the you know what I'm saying, this could be something of a blip, just as John was saying on the radar, and that you know it's not really that big of a deal in the long run. Just you know we have to do things a little differently than we've done before, um, or it could be a sign of things to come uh, because an IP holder here does not agree with letting tournaments run how they have been in the community, uh, and we'll honestly see at this point because I honestly feel it could go either way. Uh, I don't know for sure because I don't really know the history uh, of of the company. I've only heard you know rumors and speculation on this stuff. Um, I will say that history is on the side of the fighting game community, though. Uh, companies get a black eye for shutting down grassroots tournaments and things. It's really a bad look, but it's also not entirely unheard of either. Uh, very very large companies that run esports leagues and such, uh, those are very different than traditional grassroots stuff that we have in the fighting game community. Um, and those corporation tournaments have been shut down by a number of developers over the years for not seeking out permission first. And just to give people an example of what that would potentially look like, uh, this is an example that won't happen so i'm very comfortable putting it out there but if microsoft wanted to run a street fighter 5 tournament it's very likely capcom would you know jump in and shut that down for a variety of reasons uh but something like the socal regionals which is basically grassroots um 
you know, they seek out sponsorships. It's become a big deal, a really big deal. But that's traditionally been fine, and most companies don't go to shut that down. So you look at something like an Evo, and you go, okay, is that grassroots anymore, or is that grown so big that that really is something you need to seek out individual permission for? Uh, and we have a little bit of history there as well with Nintendo um, that, you know, uh, Evo basically had to reach out and make a deal with them to get, you know, smash out the, the tournament. I think it was 2013, somewhere around there. Um I, so I honestly feel this could go either way. I don't know for sure how hardcore you know the company involved is going to be about about shutting this stuff down. But uh, we're going to know here pretty soon because events like Combo Breaker are coming up. Um, you know, final round. We've got a lot of big events on the horizon uh, that will kind of tell us where where this is going to go. I think going forward. Uh, yeah, I think with the with the way that we've become more and more esports, that there's more money, there are more business transactions. There are more contracts than what it was in grassroots, and I think that this is just an evidence of that happening further and, and ultimately more or less expected. I think that we've gotten used to just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a thing, and I'm using your content. Okay, well, good, because we, we could use the exposure and, and whatever. But now we're, we're dealing with Dragon Ball, which is a huge established IP outside of the fighting game community for the majority of its existence, and... And we're expecting that same treatment, and we're not quite getting it. And while I, I agree, it's like, well, that's a little bit uncomfortable. That's that kind of sucks. It's not. I don't think it's out of the realm for them for for them to say, yeah, we, we need to have some kind of a contract here. We need to have a discussion about things because this is becoming business. And if you look at a tournament, like how, what are the numbers like for Dragon Ball? It's one of the biggest games. Sometimes it's the leading game. It was the leading game yep. of Combo Breaker last year or this year, I should say. We're still in 2018, baby. And, and so I can see with, with that kind of pull, it's like tournament organizers still want that game at their, at their event. They're going to go through the process of asking. And if it's, if it becomes this, like, no, we don't want our, we don't want the publicity. We don't want the competitive scene in fighting games to use our game. We just want it for something else. It's like, well, then you're stupid and you're shooting yourself in the foot and you can do that. And people have done it. People have been dumb about this kind of thing. But I also doubt that that would be a that, that's also not a smart business move, at least from my mm -hmm. point of view. And I don't know everything, but I don't think it would be. And so what uh, just, I, just to add in there, like the, the history of, of doing that, um, the black eyes that you get from media coverage and from the community is really bad. Um, people have generally very strongly opposed that kind of stuff and heavy handed tactics and most savvy companies here in 2018 almost 2019 should realize that that it's a really bad thing to do on a mass scale so yeah so i'm i expect to an extent that we would have to go through a few more hoops now and that's part of the business aspect of it and there are there are drags about that sure but ultimately it's growing into a bigger and better thing in a lot of ways and that comes with the territory and so I, I suspect, if I had to make a guess, and I don't know, but if I had to make a guess, Dragon Ball Fighters is not going away. You'll have to get, you know, you'll have to sign a few more contracts in order to get it, and people will do that because it's very much worth it, and we'll be on our merry way. But to see this and go, oh no, the world is exploding, and Dragon Ball Fighters might be a one and done, I think, like, who was it, Mr. Wizard that said that at EVO? Like, that's kind of irresponsible, man. For an, for the EVO tournament organizer, which is the biggest fighting game, you know, major of the year, to put that kind of crap out there and to immediately say, like, what do you guys think? Is this huge game just going to completely go away from the fighting game community? The, the, your ears, you you get a lot of ears, man, and and you have a lot of pull, 
And to, to do that, that's just too much. You're starting to you're starting to just rile up the crowds for no reason. Now we have people thinking yeah. it's going to be going forever. It's like, nah, get out of here with that crap. Before, with Wizard, stage. W- with Wizard, that's Tuesday. Uh, it, yeah, it's, I know. Uh, it's, <laughs> he, I mean, I think it was Smash Melee or something like that. He's like, well, this is going to be the last year of Smash Melee. Ha, ha, ha. And I mean, it's just like, it's pretty much every, uh, more realistically, like six months, he puts out a tweet like that, that just kind of, makes the communities kind of freak out for no reason at all and again i mean he's you know one of the main people behind evo uh so you you have to take what he says to add some you know value there but he also loves to stir the pot and well, he regard. knows that you have to take yeah. what he says to some value and i would see that as i have a lot of responsibility and not i'm gonna play with people because i can which okay maybe that's a little bit harsh too i want to keep myself oh no that's check. completely that's completely accurate he he clearly enjoys stirring the pot so yeah, yeah. Ah, lovely. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. We'll see where this goes. Uh, Again, as John is saying, it's not the time to freak out completely and and just, you know, worry that the sky is falling. Uh, Also, not the time to be thinking everything is going to be 100% okay. We don't know. Um, You know, it's if stuff goes bad, it will start up a big campaign and try to get, you know, the the game supported kind of throughout the entire fighting game community so we can keep it in our community. Um, It's a great game. Uh, We love that game. It should stay in our community, right? Like it should be a huge part of what we do going forward. But I think it benefits both parties to have it around. So I think people are going to bend a little bit to make it happen. But you need... Uh, it makes sense that a business transaction transaction is going to happen with how many people, how popular, wh- who you're dealing with in Dragon Ball. It all makes sense. Occam's Razor, man. It's the most simple, obvious solution. That's probably what it is. Yeah. And, and there's great people at Bandai Namco who who have good relationships with the Dragon Ball Fighters team, our Dragon Ball Z team, I should say. And, and you know, they can help grease the wheels here a little bit and... Uh, you know, it's yeah. So, but moving right along, I think we've, we've beat that dead horse here pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into Dead or Alive 6 getting a mature rating and surprising absolutely probably no one in the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I think that their whole toning down stuff, like, I guess stuff is toned down, but honestly, I think it was just another publicity stunt. We talked about this before. They, they said the same thing with Dead or Alive 5, and then that had the most, like, lewd costumes I've ever seen in a fighting game uh, ever, you know, like, officially. So I, I'm kind of betting right now in a few months we're going to see some hardcore costumes, likely now behind a paywall. Like, hey, you want those? Like, you got to pay for them. Um, and if we're not seeing a lot of skin, like, post-release here, like, in a couple months or whatever after the game's out, like, I'd be pretty surprised. But, yeah. Yeah, I... Does it say why it's rated M in the, uh, the yeah list of, like, um, sexual content? Is it violence? Cause... It's I think mostly sexual content. I'd have to read over our story here again. Um, but like bouncing breast, of course, because uh, it's dead or alive, you have to have that. I think it's like some like blood spat splatters or whatever or spatters, whatever the word is, uh, stuff of that nature. Um, but yeah, blood language, sexual violence, uh, f- sexual violence. My goodness, no, sexual themes and violence. Oh. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would definitely be taking it a step further probably get the adults only rating on that one i wonder how much of this game's audience is there because of that content and it's it for those that would be like it's not because of that it's because i like to play the fighting game there are a lot of people that play this because of the boobs right like let's be real about it that's one of the things it's known for Uh, i mean just to jump in they they heard a lot of feedback online the dead or alive team talked about like you know we need to make more male costumes like people are online demanding that and and then they said like the sales of the male costumes were horrible and and that they're just going to pretty much stick with like female costumes going forward because no one's buying that that stuff they kind of demanded online um it's don't mind what people say mind what they do 
A hundred percent. Yeah. And then like that does that makes total sense. It's the demographic. You're probably gonna have a lot of young men playing this game. It's just like that's who's playing this right now at our spot in society. So you're gonna cater to them. And and so I mean I don't wanna presume too much because I don't know everything about this, but I'm just wondering like what gets it up to that M rating because what I've seen for this game hasn't been as suggestive by any means compared to like what you were saying dead or alive five content where you you look at that and you go yeah are we what are we playing is this a fighting game i forget because i was completely distracted by the ridiculousness of these costumes and uh, i here, haven't seen I'll, anything like that for yeah, six I'll, I'll read um, um i'll read a few things here Cutscenes depict additional acts of violence robotic characters cut in half with a sword uh helicopter machine gun shooting characters on the ground a handful of uh, costumes depict characters with narrow strips of cloth that barely cover their buttocks and our pelvic areas. Um, some female fighters breast jiggle while standing or fighting. Um, and, and in some sequences, players have the ability to zoom in on characters' cleavage um, and underwear and take photos. So the 14-year-olds that get their hands on this, and we're all guilty of this, will use the free cam mode and whatever. And <laughs> Sure, it's a dead or alive game, everybody, um, and uh, that's all you need to know everything else like you said beforehand very smart publicity stunt because it got us clicking it man it got us reporting on it as, as event hubs and, and as the fighting game community like, Ooh, a new dead or alive and they're not as sexual what they're changing their identity we talked about it quite a bit more than i think we would have otherwise if it was just a new dead or alive announcement with none of that reduced sexual content stuff so good job it looks like you got your head in the right place it looks like you have a, a good chance of making a successful game because you're good at playing the crowd and uh and i look forward to seeing what kind of action what kind of boobs what kind of thin strips of whatever covering pelvic areas you guys come up with and uh, and hopefully it's a game that also gets plenty of attention and the tournament scene brings new people into the dead or alive um community and helps it grow and and yeah and that's all i have to say about that yeah uh We'll wait for Dead or Alive um, 7, and they're like, we really toned down the sexual content this time, and that's what will be, you know, their marketing. Everybody's just in trench coats and like 1800 giant frilly dresses, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, trench coats that they open up and they're completely naked underneath, and yeah, the the classic, right? Uh, Anyway. (laughs) No, I just meant trench coats. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, never trust Team team Ninja when it comes to toning down stuff. They never do. It's it's always a bunch of crap. So, anyway, uh, but uh, let's get into it now. Uh, Is Ryu actually good at this point in time in Street Fighter V? Has he become a good character? Because. This is something you and I harped on very heavily uh, on previous podcasts that this is your poster boy character. Uh, you need to make him at least viable because he's a character a lot of people are going to start with. Um, you've got to make him good, right? So yep. uh, I went into the the change list here and I looked at up and down trying to find like, is, is Ryu a good character? Like, what are people doing with him? Daigo's playing him at least a little bit right now. Uh, we'll see if he sticks with him, uh, but more on that later. But um, so the main thing that I noticed with him is crouching medium kick is now um, on hit. It's instead of plus one, it's now plus two. Uh, which is a nice change that usually means for people who don't know uh, that you can land more combos with it. Um, You're able to play a little bit more footsies with it, that kind of stuff in general. Uh, Crouching medium kick, uh, max range will not combo into heavy fireball, but near max will. So you can hit him with like just about like, you know, uh, the middle part of his foot, I guess. And that will combo into a heavy fireball to hits, uh, you know, the, the classic Ryu staple, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, his fireballs, his his uh, light and medium ones are actually a little bit slower. Uh, and that helps a lot of times with mid-range zoning and just kind of trapping people with stuff. We um, talked about Guile's sonic, light sonic boom getting sped up and how that was a nerf for him. Exactly. So, same idea on the other side of the coin there. Exactly. So so um, those got buffed for Ryu. Um, and now also his fireballs do a little bit more pushback on block which is nice. So it's like, okay, that, that's good. And then his heavy fireballs are faster. Um, so just to give people a little bit of idea of, of the frame data here, when you're playing footsies with Ryu, um, the best case for him, uh, basically max range crouching medium kick into heavy fireball is a negative two scenario. If you do a light fireball, you can get uh, zero on block. Uh, which is really nice. Now, again, that's completely max range. That's at a point where it won't, you know, uh, won't combo at all. Um, but again, nice for spacing and for footsies. The worst case scenario is negative six, and that is point blank. Crouching medium kick, uh, heavy fireball, you're at worst case negative six. So it's like... And you're getting hit with a combo then. Yeah, but um, again, but with the pushback on a fireball, you actually are, you know, pushing back the opponent a good bit. So you may get hit with a, a, a combo at that point, but it's still only negative six. It's not too shabby. You know, you, you've got to have a pretty decent move to, to counter that kind of right off the bat. So um, I, I think that Ryu has some nice neutral control at this point in time. Um, I think that uh, that buff alone is going to make him one of the few characters in the game who actually has mid-range zoning. It's, it's something that's very absent from Street Fighter V is characters that can hold the, the middle of the screen and basically lock you down or make you kind of very hesitant to do much of anything. Usually they're rushed down or usually they're like kind of f- not full screen but about three, four screen out like zoning type characters. Uh, again, people hold the mid-range are, are few and far between, so I'm, I'm very happy to see Ryu filling that role right now. And, and a big part of that too is because so many characters have mid-range destroying moves where they mm-hmm. just get. I, I actually destroying is not the right term. I think more just negating where they get to just like, well, here I come, you know, and like a like a bison scissor kick, a Balrog dash punch, a Urian tackle, stuff like that. And um, so it, so it, it's especially hard to control that mid-range. And and I think you're right. The main core things about Ryu with low forward fireball has been buffed. I think even low forward even does more damage now, like by 10 or something like that. Um, so it shows that they really were paying attention to that. Another big part of him, though, is is his Oki and his, like, if I've, if I've earned something, if I've gotten the hit on you, he can combo into, I think, Donkey Kick in some new ways now and yes. get that hard knockdown. And there's actually a payoff because I believe if he if he combos into Donkey Kick, there's something to follow up with. And I don't know the specifics on it because I don't play the character and I haven't um, really observed it yet. But I've heard talk about that. I think it was Valle, actually, that was bringing that up hmm. on Twitter. And the idea that a lot of his stuff can now be, if you're paying attention... You can combo into the donkey kick, and that gives him favorable situations afterwards. And I'm not sure how much Oki and how much follow-up, but before it was, you know, if he knocks you down, he knocks you down, he gets a little bit of damage and not much to do afterwards most of the time. And now that might have been buffed up a little bit. Combine that with the fact that a lot of the top tiers have dropped down at least a little bit, some more than others, Cammy. And I think that those those kinds of things, him getting buffed as much as he has, because he's got a he's got a decent list of patch notes here. Maybe mm-hmm. not the longest, but but they definitely paid attention to him. Every a lot of the other people above him got nerfed. I don't think that that sends Ryu up into the high tiers, which he doesn't have to be. But I think he does kind of have to be not super low tier, mm-hmm. and that's where he's been. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked ad nauseum that how how bad Ryu's been and how much of a meme. I think he's out of that almost for sure, and I think that's the important thing here that Street Fighter that Capcom made the adjustment to put Ryu in an acceptable place. Now we'll see what the pros come up with, man. We'll see what they they figure out, and maybe he's he's good enough that. 
he'll be able to hold his own and we'll see him in tournament and we'll see him make some top eights. That's to be seen. But I think that at the very minimum, Capcom has done enough to show that they care about the character and they've moved him up to an acceptable place given his status within the Street Fighter realm. Mm. I agree. I, I think he's a good bit better now. Uh, and just to, to recap a few more of the changes, as John mentioned, his, his donkey kick is now has a faster startup. Um, his EX donkey kick travels further. And as John was talking about in terms of Oki, uh, we actually have a clip of Daigo up on our website right now. And he gets really good Oki pressure after EX hurricane kick. Uh, Daigo was literally like... A, uh, what is it? The the Craig Asm face or whatever he was making. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, he was like, oh my god. He's like, this is, oh, you know. And it's like, okay, Daigo's really happy about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, so that's great. You know, it's it's kind of what the character needed. It's a lot of what he had in season one, uh, where he had good Oki pressure and damage and stuff. Uh, a few other changes that he got were, was his V trigger two parry, and now recovers a little faster. It's a little less punishable. Um, he can cancel into his DP, and just for an example here, uh, if you get a V trigger two parry, a heavy DP into super, that does five hundred and twenty three damage, which is pretty substantial. Um, it, it's it, that's going to hurt. You know, at the end of a round, if, if uh, you see V trigger two um, Ryu just kind of parrying like crazy, you're at risk for taking 500 damage. It's like, oof, yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna get you. So um, also, if V trigger two is somehow successful, but whiffs, like if he does, a, you know, the it's called an ishin. If he does a punch forward, uh, you can actually cancel it right into another parry, uh, either his V skill or another V trigger two parry to like try to catch a person like following up. And I guess it starts up in one frame at that point in time. So. That's not the best change because it's kind of like Capcom's like, well, we don't know how to fix this, so we'll just give you another parry opportunity, <laughs> I think. Uh, that's kind of what that says. But Is I that mean, like if you cross him up and he does it the wrong direction? I, something. I, I don't know how to make it whiff, and I, so I, I wasn't able to replicate that in training mode, but I'm like, okay, Capcom's just like, we'll, we'll throw this in. That's fine. It, it's, it's good enough. Um, but yeah, I, to, to round this out here, I would, I would put him at the mid-tier at this point in time. Uh, I see enough people picking him up and playing him still. Uh, again, we're not really far into season four patches uh, um, uh, for it to take hold the changes and all that. But there's enough people ha whose curiosity are piqued with this character or it's like, I think he's okay now. Like, I think he's solid. So, um, again, when you target the mid-range control and very few people have that in this game, that's a trait that will make people play the character. That's some reason that people, hey, you know what? Like, there, here's a reason to not play Guile. Here's a reason to not play Monat or whatever. Like, here's a character who has better mid-range control, maybe, than those other characters, and, and that's why I want to play Ryu, finally. Okay, you know? so uh, going off of that, we've heard time and time again with Ryu in his previous iteration, if you're playing Ryu, why not just play Akuma? Uh, who's also a Shoto and who's basically better on every on every level and does what Ryu does better than Ryu. Why not play Akuma now? I if would, you, if yeah. that's the case. I, I think that Ryu is more of a fundamentally solid mid-range zoning character. Uh, I think his fireballs are slower, which is going to give him abilities like characters like Birdie and Abigail, I think are going to have more trouble getting in on Ryu than they will Akuma now. Um, Akuma is supposed to be a more powerful offensive character, right? That's what he is. He's geared to do to rush you down and to take you out. Like he's looking for Oki pretty much at all points in time. Now Ryu has that, but he gets his Oki off of like kind of setting you up with footsies and other mm -hmm. things. So, um, and then of course the parry, like the parry is uh, apparently a pretty big selling point right now for Daigo. Um, and you know, V trigger one is where he does, you know, his unblockable fireball set setups the, the Denjin Hadoken. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if, if Ryu is good enough to actually dissuade people from playing Akuma. It's possible, but Akuma also might be the best character in the game right now. Uh, him, Bison, you know, there's a handful of others. Uh, my goodness. They're, they're, yeah. 
to add on to that, Akuma is good in different ways. And you got to that with he's more into rushing you down. He's got great neutral, mainly because of his walk speed and how good that damn standing medium kick is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of, like, just more broadly speaking, I think of Akuma as getting more in your face quicker, jumping in with his air fireballs, uh, walking up, making the mid-range kind of scary. But, but him being the one to get in there, get in the pocket, if you will, and and make things happen. With Ryu, especially with these buffs now to his fireballs being different speeds, and you know, that's something that I think they've done um, somewhat across the board, giving different speed fireballs, because Sagat got the same treatment. It makes him more of a zoner. It makes him able to hold his ground. Uh, and and that kind of makes Ryu, I don't want to call him a tank or anything like that. He, doesn't, he just, just got average life, but he's able to hold his ground and kind of stop you and control the space, uh, control your you coming at him. It sounds like he has the ability to go forward, but you know maybe maybe advantage, offensive advantage to Akuma, defensive advantage to Ryu. So if you want to play more methodical, a little more reserved, with the ability to go on the offense, Akuma or you play Ryu. If you want to play with the you know more going in, but with the ability to hang back if you want. Then you go Akuma, and that would be a central difference between the two. You, you go answering, Ryu. Yeah, yeah, you go Ryu. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of the answer to those that would still bring up that question, which I think is a very valid question. And it actually takes me to um, I've been exploring Kage, another one of the Shoto's and the brand new Shoto, and he's kind of the halfway point between Akuma and Ryu, if you will, because he's you know the the evil version of of Ryu. And um, so I wanted to talk about him a little bit. If you were done speaking about Ryu, oh yeah, I'm good. So Kage is interesting. People are fascinated with him because he calls back to Evil Ryu, and that was a very popular character for a lot of people, especially recently in Street Fighter IV. And um, and he looks similar, so he's he's getting that nostalgia factor. He does good damage. He's got he's got a lot of tools. Ultimately, though, I'm kind of afraid for him. Hmm. I think that, gosh, there's where do you begin here? I think that. He's definitely a Street Fighter 4 character in Street Fighter 5. Hmm. Uh, people have been <laughs> kind of wanting that in, to an extent. Well, a lot of people have wanted just Street Fighter 5 to be Street Fighter 4. And I think that this is kind of Capcom's love letter to those people in that you play this character much more like you would have played the Street Fighter 4 meta and such. Uh, he's got basically a focus attack. You can't cancel out of it unless he's... Um, well, no, I don't think he can cancel out of it, but he, he also has um, DP, basically FADC, because he can cancel his V-Trigger teleport into that, and that very much echoes the uh, the safe FADCs that we saw in Street Fighter 4. Now, if you some characters can punish that because it's it's pretty negative. It just moves him very far away. So if you have like a maybe like a Nikali super or a Chun-Li super, um, something along those lines, you can punish it. But the point is... He's he seems to be a neutral based character with very very honest neutral and that's good and that will make the player a better Street Fighter player in general but I don't know how much that thrives here in Street Fighter 5 hmm. because of the so many like just do it moves and and the fact that Kage's range is not very good so so he has some pretty cool confirms. Low forward into Tatsu is pretty consistent, um, except for maybe at like the farthest ranges sometimes. Um, and, but but the buttons that he wants to catch you with just don't have a ton of range. And, uh, and on and, that note, let me ask you because I've I've been you know running across a few Kagi players. It seems like he has trouble getting in. Like has that been your experience again? Short range buttons does does he struggle there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, because the threat of the fireball is interesting. He has the the flash fireball that that only occupies the space immediately in front of him. It's like a slow normal in that respect, although it is safe. So you use that mostly to like maybe combo into super from a low forward or something like that. But uh, or or fake people out like you're gonna do a, a fireball and get them to jump because it's got decent recovery. But if he's actually throwing a fireball, it's a red fireball, which has a lot more startup than a regular fireball does, and and so he doesn't really have that zoning game. Um, and that poke game to really deter people from from worrying about you know his, his ability to hit them from far off and so with his with his normals they're like they're okay but if he's gonna try to hit you with like a fierce punch which is one of his farther reaching ones the recovery on that is very long and again very street fighter 4 it's like if you're gonna reach out at me there's a risk to that and you can get hit for it um and so, so yeah, he, he does because he's not scary until he's closer than most characters are when they want to be scary. So he has to walk into danger zones before people feel all that oppressed. And so hmm. what he tends to want to do is wiggle in there and try to get people to overextend, counter hit them, get the knockdown, and then try to follow up. Um, and it's to the point where he's got that traditional Evil Ryu slash Akuma kind of combo where you end up doing a Tatsu into a DP. Sometimes you don't even want to do the DP follow-up. You just want to do the Tatsu and get the Oki afterwards because uh. the DP does a little bit of damage. But this allows him to get in. Now, when he's in your face, there's a ton of potential there because, hey, you know, you're a, you're a frame trap or a mix-up away. But again, it's Street Fighter V. Sometimes, man, you just take the throw. You take mm-hmm. that 120 damage or whatever it does, maybe just 100, I'm not sure, and and then you're out of that, and then you go back to that neutral where where he doesn't thrive as much. So you can do some pretty cool stuff with him. His combos are pretty flashy, uh, especially when you tack on V-Trigger stuff. Now, he's, he's going to be getting away with a lot of V-Trigger shenanigans right now, and people will figure those out and um and eventually be able to to stop them shut them down and and not let them get away with it but right now you're seeing probably a lot more than that he does have a raging demon similar to akuma's but it's only accessible in v trigger 2 it uses all of his v trigger and critical art meter and he from what i understand he can't really kara it like he can't do the the overhead into it i i haven't had any success doing that so but he can combo into it, which is interesting. So there's, you know, a good 400 damage, 400 to 500 damage if he's going to combo into that. But that still requires that he gets that hit. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, like, he has some very interesting tools. He's very, he's, he's got a good amount of flash, especially when you start to do these weird V-trigger teleport mix-ups and whatnot. And, and the follow-up after you, you hit a DP and you do V-trigger 2 and he teleports from above and smashes them down Oni style. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty sad satisfying but he his game in the neutral is somewhat weak and he ultimately tries to get people to like i say get in the pocket but go too far and then and then hit them with something so like approach back off have them extend and then and then catch them with a standing medium punch or a low forward or even if you're if you want to be extra sexy catch them with a very very small ranged um heavy punch and combo that into heavy tatsu into his uh, dp that's that's the bee's knees right there that's the business but um, I think that as people figure him out, his ability to, to thrive in the neutral, unlike what we were just saying about Ryu, doesn't, doesn't seem to be there. Mm-hmm. You can, if you're really, really good, you can get, a, you can get by with him. And I'm sure that there will people, there will be people that like 
are able to do that in tournament, but it won't be as easy as, say, Akuma, who has the walk speed and that standing medium kick, and and then still the flash, the damage, the Oki, the follow-ups. And so actually, we hear people talk about why not Akuma when they're talking about Ryu in years previous. I'm really feeling right now, like, in terms of Kage, why not Akuma? Mm-hmm. You know, because because Akuma kind of thrives where he doesn't, and they have the same life. They have 900 life, so I mean that was a big deterrent for me to try to to play Akuma. But I really think that um, I mean it's like well I could I could have the same life and all of Akuma's tools. I don't see why I wouldn't just do that. I can play the same kind of neutral game if I wanted to, like catching people overextend. But I also have the option to walk right up into their face very quickly, and they're afraid of Akuma's buttons. You know, so mm-hmm. I think he does that neutral much better he does the rush down better and uh he has just as much damage output if not more so i'm really with this point kage is cool he's fun he will make you a better and more thoughtful player if you play him at the right level but i as far as tournament goes i say why not akuma and to that effect Mm. why not ryu yeah so yeah yeah, that's that's kind of where I stand with them. That's unfortunate. It's it's one of the things about making, you know, people love the Shoto characters in, in Street Fighter and pretty much all fighting games, right? They they love those movesets. And the problem you run into, though, is, you know, those. how do you differentiate those characters and really make them stand apart from each other? And we're kind of seeing some of the, th- the side effects of that. Like, well, why play Ryu when you can play Akuma? And, you know, why play Kagi when you can play Akuma? And... Uh, that we've ran into that throughout the history of, of fighting games, uh, where if you have a, a singular, very powerful Shoto character, they kind of trump all the other ones, and and you just you see most people playing that one character instead of uh, you know diversifying themselves basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, now on that note here, uh, you're you're talking a lot about these you know evil Shoto characters and Ryu as well, um, but you're an Akali player, man. Like so, what's going on there? Like uh, you know you you're talking a lot about these other ones, but but you're you're you play Akali. Well, okay, so Nikali is one of the characters that kind of stood their ground and let the, the higher tiers sort of get nerfed around them. And I think that he's still good. My main problem with him is that it feels like he's so reads-based with mm-hmm. his with his options that they're scary, they're great, but they're not held together with much glue. Like, it, it, they're, they're all kind of vacuum. Like, the, the dive kick and the, and the command grab and the, you know, invincible DP and a three-frame jab. It's like, man, this should be the best damn character in the game. But when it comes to um, just making it all work together, it just doesn't seem like it works outside of someone like Phenom who is ripping DPs on wake up and is just guessing his way in. And when I say guessing, that's like, that doesn't do it justice. He's reading his way in Mm -hmm. and he's able to read people very quickly, but that's so damn hard to do in a two out of three tournament set or even, you know, an online bout. And, and it feels like, um, you know, I was talking to uh, Up to Snuff, who's a fellow, fellow Nikali player, fellow tall white guy with glasses. You can't be. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Steve. Yes. I met, we met him at Capcom Cup. Very nice guy. Uh, very helpful with his uh, approach and stuff. Yeah, and um, and so we chat about Nikali ever so often, and and the gist of it is, uh, what did he say? He said, I think that he could be a top three character um, if you if you have the read on your opponent. That makes him a top three character because hmm. then and and, and I mean that's kind of like duh, any character can kind of be that if you know what your opponent's gonna do for the most part. But I think his point is that Nikali's tools are so strong that if you do know what your opponent's doing, it hurts and it hurts bad. And it's like, yep, but it. it the thing is, it can just as easily be like, well, if you don't have that read, and then he doesn't thrive, and he just gets shut down because he guessed command grab at the wrong time, or he guessed his approach incorrectly, and 
a lot of the character just feels kind of out there in the ether and not hammered down. It's like, I'm going to do this and I hope it works. And, uh, but if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And maybe it's just that I am not as good at getting a read on, on an opponent as someone like Phenom. And, and that maybe that means that the character is not as much for me, mm-hmm. but I want to play with a reward that goes, I'm going to do this thing that I feel is like the correct thing. And I get rewarded for doing that. So with someone like Kage, I get to walk forward and see when someone hits a button, right? Mm-hmm. And then use that information to try to whiff punish them next time or to get them to overextend. And when I do that with Kage, I get hit into, you know, like a confirm into a into a Tatsu, into a DP or into a follow-up. If I do that with Nikali, I'm more wish punishing uh, with like medium punch because I'll have to have charge in order to follow it up with the slash, which is kind of like the significant punish there. And outside of that, it's just like it feels like it's more guessing in the neutral, and uh, and it's just not as rewarding mm-hmm. in that respect. So, I I, I think Nikali is still a, a very good character. He might be top ten, mm-hmm. um, but you have to be able to read your opponent. I think even more so than than uh, the average character. And I don't know if that's I mean if that's the game that you want to play, go for it. Um, and, and in terms of placing Kage on the tier list, I think he's. I think he's high mid tier. Okay. Probably is where he'll end up. And he's probably doing a little bit better right now because people aren't aware of how to shut down his stuff, but I think he'll get uh, regulated down a little bit to to being around high mid tier. And then Akuma just to jump in on Kage too. Like when you play against him a good bit, like I, I grinded some serious matches against him and he's very different in, in how you have to punish him and how you have to time stuff, but that's not something that you can adjust to it just takes a little bit longer than your average character so i I back up 100 percent of what you say there like kage players are getting away with a lot right now i'm probably making him appear a little better than he is uh but once people download him it's he's gonna he's gonna feel the pain yeah and his lack of a fireball game um well I, i guess you should say lack of like what we're used to as a fireball game is um like that's that's a huge part of what makes a shoto character his their other tools work and so there's something there, but man, I mean, if he's, he's red fireballs are really hard to use in the neutral effectively. If someone that you're playing against knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so if you take out the threat of that, then the, the strength of his other tools kind of, kind of falter a little bit. And, and so, yeah, but I'm still excited to play him. Um, I'm kind of exploring him. And like I said, if nothing else, Playing him is going to make you a better Street Fighter player in general because you have to be aware of space a lot more than than you know otherwise. But I do think that if you're playing to win, um, I mean he does have 50 more stun than Akuma, so there's that. But if you're playing to win, man, why not Akuma? Mm. Is my reaction to Kage right now. So the the question becomes: Do we have another character crisis on our hands? Are you going to drop Nikali like? Catalyst has been telling you to do for about like it, Street Fighter Five has only been out for you know what is it now three three years I think I've been telling you to drop Nikali for about five years it feels like so <laughs> <laughs> what 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 are you gonna do you know what are you gonna do gun to your head now what, what are right you now I'm I'm gonna be playing Kage and it's all just casual matches and um and I'll still have the Nikali especially for like a Monat match mm-hmm. I think that he does pretty well against Monat just because the reads oh, yeah. tend to go in his favor oh yeah. And then there's the idea of, well, is it time to start investigating Akuma? 
um, and seeing if like maybe it'll morph from Kage into Akuma. But I'm sort of sitting at, at this this I, and then there's Sagat in the background, man. Oh, and I've never I have Sagat. never juggled this many characters at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really don't know what I want to do with the game right now. I'm kind of just at a new crossroads and maybe maybe you know have a couple of angles and maybe just be more casual about it and so that there's not as much pressure to go down any one avenue as much mm-hmm. you know i'm not i'm not planning to win capcom cup right now I, I don't understand the game enough to do that and so uh it's more just about sharpening myself as a player so maybe that the answer there is kage because you're playing to get better and not playing to win okay and then if you're playing in tournament and i run across you know monad or something like that then then maybe do that but or maybe go to nikali but yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. Um, no, I'm not dropping Nikali. I'll still have him. I've, you know, invested a lot of time into him, and I think he's a good tool to to have in the in the kit. But um, but yeah, I'm exploring Kage and probably Akuma soon, and then maybe just Akuma, maybe just Kage for the sake of getting better. Akuma to win. Uh, we'll see. Just to fill in some blanks here for our listeners, I've I've been telling John, as I mentioned, to, to drop Nikali for quite some time now because when he complains about Street Fighter Five, it's like I don't like the game because the game feels too random, and I'm like, well. That's because you play Nikali. <laughs> like the game is much more random, and again, the game's volatile and random, and we'll be getting into that here very much uh, in a second, very in depth here. Um, but it's even more so when you play a character like that, and just to to help people at home too who are struggling with character choice. Um, you know, design is is such a huge part of why we pick up and play these characters. But do realize that their play style. Um, some things like, you know, if, if you play Zangief and just expect to, to go on the offense like 24-7 and never have to hold back, you're probably going to get blown up a lot. Um, uh, Zangief is a character who who traditionally in Street Fighter history excels with patient players. If you are very methodical and you wait for your opening and, and you don't mind hitting your head against the wall 10 times because, you know, you were waiting for that opening and it didn't happen. But the 11th time it did, you got in and you blew someone up like that's a good character for you. You have to have so much patience to play a great grappler, usually in Street Fighter games. Like that, It's hard to do. Um I look at John's Nicali and I see like him going, well, it's like, he's so reads based and I like playing with intent and I like playing with like, I made you do this and other stuff. And Nicali has some of that, but like, he's a character who, again, just by his looks alone, you can tell how he was designed to he's just kind of blood in the water character. Yeah. He wants to smell out your fear and then capitalize on it. Exactly. And, and, and he's, he's a character and I've seen a number of players like, you know, Wolf Crone and other things that they, they are hard reads characters. Uh, Punko is another one of them where yeah. they, they're like, look, I can bet safe or I can bet crazy. And if I know that because of my skill set and what I am as a player, uh, speaking here of like uh, Punko, like if I bet crazy, I'm going to bet more often correctly than you bet correctly. And I'm going to win. And so, you know what this makes me want to do right now? It makes me want to boot up the game. It makes me want to stop the podcast and boot up the game and play Nikali and, and abandon all of this idea of. I have a specific way that you're supposed to play that's right and just throw it all to the wind and go, I'm going to dash until it doesn't work. Okay, now I'm going to jump until it doesn't work. Okay, now, and, and like I, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. But right. I don't know if I can, if I you've, can, and, and the thing is, is you've done that. off that. Yeah, you've done that and it doesn't fit you as a player because uh, you were like, okay, like I won like five or 10 matches in a row and that was the most unsatisfying wins I've ever had. And then you try to do the same thing like the next day or an hour later and you, you get blown up for it. Um, that fits. It's, it's like playing poker. Like, the, the people who go all in like all the time um, and they just they they inherently feel okay with that risk because they know that in the long run that's going to work out for them that wild and crazy style is okay uh, 
just to tell a little story here, um, I remember walking into the bathroom at Evo, uh, and there was Punko uh, going, you know, going to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, it's Punko. Like, I didn't say anything. You know, I'm not going to bother someone going to the bathroom, right? And like, as mm-hmm. he was going to the bathroom, he was like, at the same time, throwing up in the u- urinal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just like, oh, and I'm like, so the personality uh, of like very how all he, in. yeah, it's, it's very all in very like, and they're like, uh, some of the people I talked to and, and again, this is many, many years ago. So, but they're like, yeah, the guy drinks like a fish. Like, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, so you have to have the right mindset to do this stuff. Like you, you, it, it, you do need a character who fits your personality and then you want to play that character in that personality as well. And that's a come I've always kind of been adamantly against your Nikali. Again, I think you were a very skilled and terrific player. I think you do very well. I just, I think that the, it's the wrong fit. You know, you got the wrong size glove on basically and that you need it, you know, a different one. So some glove. Makes with, sense. Yeah. Some glove with that, like, you know, maybe arm wraps or something that maybe when you, thrust them forward they say tiger or something like that but (laughs) anyway (laughs) anyway, um so but i I do want to get into this like for for listeners at home here they they might be wondering okay so ryu got buffed uh alex got buffed uh geef got buffed like how do we know like if these characters are going to turn out to be like worth the crap or not and and one of the biggest indicators in the community is is that top players are very often tier horse are tears enthusiast or whatever you want to call them um (laughs) uh it is. It's very rare to see a professional player because keep in mind they're doing this for a living. Um, use a character who's not strong or viable at the very least at the highest of levels. Exceptions exist. They do exist, but they're few and far between. So when you see the pros pick up a character initially and then drop them weeks or months later, that's probably a sign that the character's not good enough to hang at the highest levels. Now, are you playing at that level or do you intend on playing at that level? Um, Because at lower levels of play, a character could be much better on the tier list than they are at higher levels. For example, um, Ryu um, are actually, you know, someone like Alex, I should say. Alex last season might have been much better at lower levels of play than he was at higher levels of play. Uh, And that's okay. You know, it just, it kind of depends on on what you want to do here. Um, Well, that's when, when you look at a tier list, you're, you're, it's at the highest level of play, technically speaking. I mean, there's a little wiggle room, but I mean, an extreme example, you know, Akuma is the best character in the game, let's say, or one of the best. But if an Akuma player doesn't know that holding back is blocking, then they're not the best character in the game right now. Right. You know, like something like that. And so that's an extreme example, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and so, yeah, Ryu is the most popular character um, online, even though he's been one of the, and he's been that for a long, long time. Um, it's, because lower levels, it's not as important to, to be the best. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can do special things um, by playing a character that no one else uses or using them in a way no one else does. Uh, again, I've used V-Trigger 2 with Monot. I'm adamant about it because of it fits my play style. Um, I took a tournament level player who's a, a solid, very solid Nikali player and, and beat him down. You know, and, and he literally was flustered because I've taken a mechanic and a thing that most people do not know. And I'm not going to say perfected it or anything. I'm not that good with it, but I've gotten pretty good with it. And, and it's it can throw people off. And so that's where you get into the that's where you get into like this may not be a top tier thing, but you can use it in a way that will really disrupt people and make them have to lab the heck out of it to adapt to it. And you can continue to lab it and get even better with it as well. Um, again, I'll point to CN winning uh, uh, Evo again. Uh, Gen mm-hmm. was known to be strong by some top players, but few others, but he was generally regarded as bad and, and pretty much not throughout the entire Street Fighter 4 series, but through most of it, he was regarded as a bad character. He won Evo. 
you know, well, and, he also figured out some unblockable setups. Oh my and, goodness! And such, which really helped him out. Yep. But it took a lot to get there. Yes. You know, when you because you're basically playing like a character and a half with him because he's got two stances, mm-hmm. and so that's intimidating. And maybe people didn't delve into it enough, but Shen did, and the the rewards that he reaped were winning Evo. Yes. And like three thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Not esports money then, but but yeah, it's we talk about this stuff and it's indicators, and it just depends on what experience you want to have in the game. Uh, and I'll remind people that only Sith lords deal in absolutes. <laughs> but it's usually a bad sign um, if, if someone drops a character after putting some time in. Uh, but you can still have fun with that character depending on what you want to have as your outcome. But but speaking of that, we have two characters who are considered very low tier that you had some thoughts on with Alex and Geef. And I, I was just curious what you're seeing so far with those two fighters. So I don't know how good Alex and how good Geef are. I know they're better. And I do know that we talked about the the dynamic of Geef earlier, right? That with a grappler in general, and I think Alex is more of a brawler, but we'll get into that. Um, the idea is you're going to have to hit your head against the wall 10 times, and then on the 11th, it makes it worth it. Basically, in a nutshell, Geef would hit his head 10 times, get in on the 11th, and it super wasn't worth it. It didn't justify mm-hmm. the first 10, and that's why, he's in, you know, in a very un-nuanced way, he was a bad character. They've shorten that gap a little bit they've made it a little more worth it for him how much so i don't know i'm not a geef player i still find it fairly easy to beat zangiefs but i'm but where i go for both zangief and for alex uh, is to social media right now and take this as you will because it's social media it's fickle but people are expressing excitement they're showing off the tech that they've figured out the fact that alex can now hit people that are grounded with his um with i think it was with his knee um, and use that for combos and follow-ups. He's got more damage and more range, I think, on power bombs. They've they've given inspiration for the community to play these characters, and, mm-hmm. and also Geef, but not to the same extent that I've seen Alex. Um, and and I put Ryu in this boat too. These are low-tier characters that people put memes about because they're so bad, yep. and now they're at least inspired and excited and saying things like. Alex is going to be good or Alex is exciting or even making jokes about how good he's he's going to finally become. Maybe he hasn't been buffed all that much and maybe this falls off. But for where we're at right now in the stage of an evolution after a tier list is released, I think it's very promising because people will continue to delve into him and, and continue to figure things out about him. They'll have that hype around him, which is which you need at level one. Mm-hmm. And so they have that. So if there's something to be found, if there's a new ceiling to be discovered it will very likely be discovered, and that's a good step one. Um, and, and I think that that in and of itself is a success with this balance patch for Capcom because they were able to inspire people to play the characters that they were just joking about previously. Um, and so, and, and it looks like, you know, the, the, everything that you see on Twitter is sort of in a vacuum because it'll happen in training mode or it's like a, in a random, you know, super platinum match or something like that. But it looks good, it, mm-hmm. and and a lot of these combos are a little flashier. I think they're starting to make this game more and more uh, based for for spectators in you know how G plays, how Kage plays, how we're seeing these combos work now with Ken and with um, with Alex. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool to watch, and that's exciting, and it makes people want to do it themselves or hope that it happens again. And um, and so yeah, I think morale for these characters is up. And and we'll see. I don't I don't expect them to jump up to top five. I've heard Cody might, but that's its own conversation. Um, but I do think that they'll jump into the viable tier. And if that's the case, then again, a success. And you'll see them, and and they'll be a relevant part of the game. Not everybody's going to be top tier. It just can't happen. Mm-hmm. But 
you want as many people in viable tier, and it sounds like we're getting there. Nice. Now, I heard good things about Vega, but I keep seeing him at the bottom of tier lists now, so I don't know about him. Uh, but he seems like the ultimate fool's gold. Like, everyone's like, oh, Vega's good this year, and ah, uh, he's not good at all. Now, I looked over his changes, and I'm seeing some of the stuff he's doing. I'm a former Vega player. He seems better. Uh, that's all stuff that, that if I was still playing the character, I'd be very excited about, particularly his crouching heavy punch uh, when he does not have claw on. Um, but now uh, all of his claw attacks can go into switch cancel, which is like, oh my goodness, really? Like, the mix-ups you can seemingly get from that. His neutral should be dramatically better. Like, I, I look at those changes and I go, oh, hell yeah. Like, now I'm excited. Um, but in, in Vega is actually one of the characters that, that ends up being fairly popular, even though he sucks. Like, uh, um, so I think we're going to see quite a few people giving him a shot again. A uh, lot of Vega fans out there. Uh, very, very, very popular, uh, even if he's bad. So. so a big takeaway from this, and, and again, a big success, I think, right off the bat. We'll see how things actually settle later on. But a big success for Capcom right off the bat is that we are inspiring, they are inspiring players to play the characters with a new sense of vigor that, that hasn't been there in the past, and that's really good. And I think that's a good look for the game, especially as it enters a new chapter. Maybe it's its last chapter, who knows? But that, I think that that's good, and I think that it has a new sense of, um, of life. And we were talking, uh, I think it was last week, saying the game feels kind of stale and and the initial patch notes in reading them didn't inspire much at least for me and it seemed like people were kind of down about them but now that it's been put into play for about a week we're seeing a little bit of new life and if that continues to grow that's a really good look for the game in 2019 you say that people are excited about the patch notes but i just have to ask you how about jury players well, that's the same boat as Nikali players. Yeah. He got a, a buff to what I think is pretty much a gimmick and and ultimately and i you know jury was bad why because she didn't have the tools or because everybody else that was good just trounced her mm-hmm. you know um i think jury's not terrible i think she's got she's not the best but she's got a decent sense of control she's got decent damage output and you know what characters might have weaknesses but i don't see her just getting run over i think she just maybe isn't as um Maybe isn't as flashy as people expected her to be as Jury. I don't know, and I don't play the character, and she does seem kind of technical, having to hold fireballs and moves and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I, especially playing Jury players online at the Diamond Above level, I'm never like, oh, good, a Jury, it's a free yeah. win. No yeah. way. No way. And so, and you have people like Infiltration playing her in top eights, and, and I think that she's one of the characters that they're expecting, well, if we nerf the top tiers around her, then she gets to rise up to a healthy spot. Do I think she's going to be top five? Probably not. But is does that mean she's not a viable character that people can't play? No, no, no way. So will the top tier or will the top players tier whore her? No, but but is she a viable player that if you like her and there are a lot of people that like her mm-hmm. play, then yes. And and I think that they've hit that stride with her. And I don't think that she's a joke. I think people tried to make her into a joke status. And at least in season three, she very much wasn't. Yeah. Um. And and it. I hesitate to say too much because I don't know for sure, but from my point of view, people wanted to make her a joke. She wasn't a joke, and then the complaint was, well, why isn't she top tier? It's like, because not everyone gets to be top tier. Shut up and play or don't. And maybe maybe there's some players at Capcom who really know what they're doing with the character. Uh, Sin Chang, I believe, is a jury player, right? Yes. Yeah, in a very good one, and I, I think you, you and he were, were talking about the her weaknesses, and like she's, I think you, you guys both kind of concluded she's um, a little bit underrated, right? I flat out asked him. I was, we played at Combo Breaker, and we played some sets, and he was kicking my butt, 
And I asked, so what am I, like, what's the weakness that I should be exploiting? And he goes, oh, I don't really think she has some glaring weakness like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's, and like, why do people complain about her? And he goes, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, she's okay. She's not bad. Yeah. Just to remind you, listeners, um, Sun Cheng was a young player. And so he knows cheap and dirty really well. <laughs> he was an Akuma player. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, quick story, Evo 2010, our very first Evo, Driftwood and I went, Driftwood was in Shin Chang's pool and he played Abel at the time. Shin Chang played Akuma and he got on stream. In fact, my girlfriend messaged me. I was playing in my pool matches and she, at the time and she she's like, Nick is on stream? And I looked up and sure enough, I looked up to see him get like double perfected because <laughs> Shin Chang was so good with Akuma. Plus the character against Abel was super OP. He could just like vortex him for forever. Mm-hmm. But he, Nick ended up getting perfected like three times Ooh. out of the four rounds that they played. Yeah. But hey, he got to get on stream at the very first Evo he ever went to. And that was a win in and of itself. But yeah, point is, Shin Chang has always been a very strong player. He's out of Texas. Um, and uh and yeah, and, and so his input there, I think, is fairly valid. I think Jury only got better here, even though she didn't get better. People got nerfed around her. And people like what, like Just a Sleepy Guy is one of the Jury players, which is a, a great name mm-hmm. <laughs> on CFN that I run into sometimes. There's, uh, what's his name? Something Kid. Uh, no, I can't remember off the top of my head. But also, I think he's a, a, a Texas player as well. and Or it's Just a Kid. There's like a Just a Sleepy Guy and Just a Kid. And, um, and then like Gentleman Thief, there are some very strong jury players out there. And I think that if people pay attention and, and actually give her the time, and I think they would because she's a, such a popular character, um, at least in, in the way people like her, her as a designed character, you know, like, I love jury. I'm going to get a shirt with jury on it. I'm going to get a stick button with jury, mm-hmm. um, that she could really be a, a, a good part, a significant part of Street Fighter V if people give her the chance. Yeah. It's a, it's just a gentle reminder for everyone that, a lot of unexplored tech out there. Uh, no one knows everything in this game. You have your, you know, clear top tier characters, but some of these other characters are really flying beneath the radar. And you hear, you know, people blowing them up on social media. Again, uh, some very notable and and bright minds in the community. Not going to put them on blast here. Just called Vega an incredible character. You know, in season two point five, I think it was, and just said, oh, he's going to be incredible. And he ended up bottom tier. A lot of people don't know. We're speculating. We're, we're trying to unpack this stuff. Um, but characters like Jury do exist out there. Characters like Gin, you know, they they, they exist and, and they can do some real heavy damage, especially when you r- run across them and, and, and um, uh, level it up to a, a high level um, where people don't know what to do. You know, so, so mm-hmm. you know, go explore the things you want to. It's kind of like the, the overriding message here with uh, some exceptions. If you know a character's complete bottom trash tier, like if we're playing Dan, you probably know you're not going to do a lot with the character. And that's that is what it is. So, yeah. But I think that the the well, that's actually too early to say the amount of Dan tier characters or the amount of viable characters that you could take in a tournament. Um, maybe fewer this time around, but who knows, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. So I don't want to come out and say that, but I will say that after Capcom cup, it was no secret that I was feeling fairly uninspired about the game and kind of worried about 2019. Um, I haven't fully recovered from that, but I, but I will say that I've been having fun playing Kage and, and this is, this isn't just me specifically. It's this, or, or in particular, it's, it's how do I think the community is generally feeling and, and how much hype there is around this game. I think it's growing since the Capcom cup. And I think that we're getting ready for a, a decently strong 2019. There are a lot of other variables that will influence this, the way they release characters and, and any other changes that they bring to the table. Um, and those kind of things could help or hinder. But with where we're at right now, with the way the balance patch is one weekend to actually playing it, 
I think that people are excited for in, in new ways for new characters that they haven't been excited for for a long time. I think that the uh, the top of the tier list is kind of in a little bit of a flux right now, and, and that's exciting in and of itself. No one has emerged as like, oh, no, this is a huge problem. Like Akuma's still Bison. up there, but Bison. he's nerfed. Bison is the one name that comes up a lot about that, but I've also heard, I think it was Frame Advantage, and those guys are pretty smart oh, yeah. in what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. I think they were saying, they put him actually as as one below top tier. Oh, wow. They had him top tier, and they said, you know what, I think it's actually Rashid Akuma, and they put Kage. And again, this is really early, so you know you take this all with a grain of salt. But that Bison gets blown up in a few matchups, and, and part of it is just understanding him better and and there's no doubt that he's better and you know he won evil last year and but i mean and there's going to be a best character in the game but all things considered i think that one of the biggest problems are how far out ahead is the top or the few top tiers from everybody else and i really do think that especially if the top tiers are like Rashid and Akuma and maybe Bison, they're not way the hell out there to the point where it's a big problem. It's like, they're the best. Everyone knows they're the best, sure. But they're not, they haven't made such a gap that it's demoralizing for everyone else. And you go, well, why play anyone else if I want to win? It's like, I can win easiest with them, but I can also win with these other characters, right? I can do what I want to do with these other characters. And that's the important thing. And if that's the the point on the on the spectrum that... Capcom is hit right now. That's very good. And hey, we'll continue to competitively play this fighting game because if that foundation is in place, then the, everything else kind of follows. Everyone just gets to play the game. They get to be competitive. They get to play the character that they want. And yes, a tier list exists. Yes, a hierarchy exists. You're never going to escape that. But people are much more content than if they're playing Zangief and he's like way the hell below everybody else in the pack or if they have to deal with a broken Cammy, and I don't even think Cammy was like you know the fighting games have been much more broken. Than Street Fighter Five has been um, as it should be because it's you know the most recent in the in the series. Uh, I think that we're in a pretty good place. The worst and the best uh, continue to get closer to each other, and um, and I think that that's really good. So I'm more and more excited for 2019 on a competitive level, on a on a social or or a casual level. Nah, the game's there. It's I'm not expecting too much out of it. I think it's fine, but on a competitive level, that's where I kind of analyze things, and I think we're in a pretty good, pretty promising place. We'll see how things continue to change and roll out, but we're in a pretty promising place. All right. Well, there it is. So I've been playing uh, online a good bit now, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, or maybe a lot, I should say, about why risking nothing in Street Fighter V can cost you everything. And the idea here is to wrap people's heads around a meta that they may be subconsciously aware of, but it's a good idea to try to fully tap into to make it a science and less of a filling type of, of thing. And I don't want to, you know, put you know players that, that play by Phil on blast here and so like, oh, you know, your 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 methods are wrong or anything. It's just there's there's a different way of looking at it, and this particularly helps me. Um, but we know that like Combo Fiend as a uh, player back in the day, one of the most successful uh, players in the the community in tournaments over the years. He actually didn't know frame data at first, and it's something that once he got to Capcom, he had to learn and to understand to help you know um, to to brush up the games. Right, like you can't just say, oh, this feels right, I'm going to go for it. Um, 
But there's proof there that, that playing by filling is fine. But again, I, I like to I like to play by science. And what I mean by that is like frame data and hitboxes. I like to know for a fact what's happening with them. So I study frame data and the meta pretty much constantly in these games to, to help organize the chaos, right? Street Fighter V is a game that, that specializes in, in volatility and chaos and just trying to make you juggle more than you're capable of juggling. Uh, and this helps me give uh, myself more plausible reasons why someone just did that wake up DP. Right? Why? Why did they feel at liberty to do that? And I don't like attributing things to random play because when I see that, like, I I always go back to the argument of like, well, good. Like, you can you can say the game's random, but Tokido is not getting random results, right? He's in there. Uh, Gotchkun just won Capcom Cup. He's been consistently good all year. He wasn't great, but consistently good. He got in there. You know, uh, players like CN, like you name it, like they're they're having consistent enough results where I don't like attributing things to random. When Scrub Boy 15, like is placing top eight at Capcom Cup or something like that, then we'll talk. That's when I think the, the results are random. So so on that note, like I, I want to to demystify the game. I want to get rid of like the the chaos aspect of it as much as I can. Dial that down to, you know, instead of it being a 10 out of 10 like a, a 5 out of 10 because I don't think the game is as chaotic as some people like to attribute it being and, and on that note I want to talk about DPs dragon punches uh, any kind of invincible reversal basically um, they're more punishable on block and that was a huge emphasis going in here into season 4 but it's also been a huge emphasis in Street Fighter 5 since the get go they designed the whole crush counter system to help destroy these moves and I'm like okay like you you felt like the crush counters as they were we're not punishing enough, and you made it even more punishable, 1.2 times more damage. And it's like, holy crap, like, that's bonkers. Like, why would you do that? Why is Capcom so afraid of these moves? And, and to me, it comes down a lot to risk and reward. And I'm finding that risk and reward is a much bigger part of the equation here uh, than we've ever really kind of talked about, even on the pod, uh, and I think enough in the community. And, and to give a couple examples here uh, of what I mean by risk and reward is you can DP in Street Fighter V when you have about 75% health and typically be okay, right? Like you, you, there's very few characters, very few people who have a 75% life punish on their hands if you DP. It happens, but it's few and far between. Um, and on the other end, you can get steamrolled so easily in this game that a well-timed DP can change everything and if you have the resources and the ability to risk that like the risk reward there is very much in your favor um and and so again i'll come i'll compare dps well, it's one of the few defensive options right exactly so like you're forced to at a point you're, you're 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 forced to and it's just it's when and where does that come and if again if you have enough um to take a full cc punish like your ability to do that dp is you know your your odds of having success with it are even greater right like because it's like okay well i got punished but i was going to get punished and steamrolled anyway why not take that risk so I'll compare uh, DPs to, to having almost no health left in Street Fighter 4 or other Street Fighter games, or Ultras, if you want to say that. Um, if you get punished, you're dead anyway, right? You, you know that when you're down to your last sliver of life, your opponent's looking for a DP or a Hail Mary move, some kind of super, some kind of ultra to throw out there. That is ingrained in almost every Street Fighter player, any, any fighting game player out there, that your opponent is looking for that last, like, I'm going to throw this out there and, and get you. And, and we know that the, and going back to risk reward there that's a heavy reward for little risk because you're going to die anyway so right. or if you're close to stun yes or if you're um, close then, to stun then it really ups the the likelihood that someone that's actually thinking about it is going to do it right yeah. so 
we're talking about now, we know that at the end of rounds, the risk reward is heavy there, like, you know, in terms of like a reversal type of move. But I wanted to look at the the other parts of the round. And I think that Street Fighter V puts a more heavy focus on this because of the volatility of the game. Again, you can get pieced out so quickly. Um, and that's why I think DPs are so much more powerful in this game, as you were talking about, and why Capcom has put that emphasis, uh, emphasis on them, I should say. So now I want to talk about making sense of the chaos when all this is going. Um I, as I was looking about this, again, as I mentioned, I, I wasn't factoring in the risk reward kind of throughout the round enough. I was only looking at it at like kind of the beginning and about the end. Um, and Street Fighter V rewards commitment and offensive base play. And to put a different spin on this, you need to look at something like Street Fighter 4 where the game was all about minimizing risk and being as safe as possible. You wanted to use option selects to cover everything you did. You almost never wanted to make a commitment. You never wanted to jump because that was a huge commitment you were making uh, because of being able to be anti-aired. Uh, being as safe and as risk averse as possible, not in every case, but in many cases was an ideal scenario in Street Fighter 4 and previous Street Fighter games. Street Fighter V does not reward that style of play very much. You have instances of that where, where certain characters can do that, but being safe and not making commitments is what they explicitly said from the very get-go of this game that they did not want players doing. They wanted you all in. If you're going to make that commitment, you you need to be all in. You don't get to do a safe DP and backdash and do whatever. Like they don't, They just did not want that. So the question becomes now, if Street Fighter V rewards that, when and why do you take those risks? At one point in a match, do you analyze that and go, okay, it's it's a good idea here to DP or to dash up. You know, a dash up is an unsafe move. It's completely unsafe, but but you can be punished for it, uh, but it adds a, you know, the, the infamous, you know, dash in or jump mix up we've talked about many times before. When and why do you take those risks? A big part of it is another thing that we've talked about is the juggling pin thing. Juggling pins, you know, if you just throw one at your opponent and they're juggling one pin, that's really easy to, you know, exactly what's coming. So if you're never dashing forward or you're never waking up DP, then they always get to not have to worry about that or they always get to put pressure on you when you're at your when you're waking up. And that makes you so one dimensional that they just get to choose the, the option that beats you and go with that every time. So mm -hmm. a big part of this is is conditioning your opponent like that's a huge factor yes. in in why you make these kind of weird decisions um people talk about the zany players like uh who's it jobin if you've ever mm -hmm. like do yourself a favor if you've never watched a jobin compilation i think he plays nikali which is perfect for street fighter <laughs> yes, 5 he definitely. played ryu in street fighter 4 it doesn't matter watch him in any game he just makes these he's a japanese player and he's he's kind of he just makes these crazy reads they a lot of times they work and it's hilarious Sometimes they don't. He doesn't win tournaments, but he he's he's okay. He's not a bad player. His just his style is so all over the place. And one of the things that you one of your takeaways that you immediately get is like you never know what to do. You never know what's mm -hmm. going to work on Jobin. Now, he doesn't either cuz it's so to the point where it's just chaos that it's like I'm going to throw everything up in the air and they're going to, you know, the cards will fall where they may. And at that point you start to detract from the competitive nature because you're no longer it's right, just pure chaos right. if you go extreme enough and you're just like, I'm just going to randomly DP. It's like, no, you got to have some kind of a calculation to it. And that's why people get mad about that kind of a play because if you begin to detract yes. from the competitive nature and you go, I just hit you. I remember, man, one of the guys here in uh, in our um, Arizona community would get especially mad about things like that, about if you're not playing the way you're quote unquote supposed to. And But he would justify it. He'd go, I just punished you 
for three wake up DPs in a row. That mm-hmm. means that with where we are personally in this match that we're playing right now, you don't get to do that anymore. Because if anything, you've made that the only option that you're going to, and I'm on the track of I'm going to walk up and block. You need to continue to evolve the mental back and forth that we're doing. You're not doing that. And then, so then on the fourth one, he's expecting that you've noticed that you've gotten destroyed for doing this move so many times. You Surely you're not going to do it the fourth time. And then the player ha- does it the fourth time. Now, you could say, well, that's godlike because they're just thinking... You know, it's like Phenom command grabbing Daigo five times in a row. Um, or, right. but but more likely, it's I'm in a situation that I'm uncomfortable and I know this move's really good and I'm going to do it because it's worked for me in the past. And you're not thinking about mm-hmm. it. You're just knee-jerk reaction. That meaning that you're not having that mental back and forth and thus you're cheapening the experience for both competitors. That's kind of, you know, where that, that anger comes from is because you're ultimately cheapening yes. things. But... I mean, if you're paying attention, if Daigo does it five times in a row, he's established so much that he's so thoughtful that you go, well, he must have had a reason to do it. And as long as you have a Mm -hmm. reason to do it, that makes it part of the game, a a valid part of the game in those, you know, more, I guess you would say, conservative, uh, proper Street Fighter types. Yes, I agree. And I I think that examining this stuff, um, it becomes something that's going to tell us a lot more of when we should and should not bet it. Like, I, I think that we're we're too surface level on so many of these things like, okay, yeah, he did three DPs in a row. And I mean, it does depend on what player you're talking about, right? But if you're talking about a high level player, like, why did they DP like four times in a row? Why did they, you know, feel comfortable enough doing that? And, and I, I don't like attributing to that just like the, to being chaotic or, or being random, again, because of results. Like, if you're getting consistent results, you're clearly doing something, even if you're subconsciously aware of it, you know something about that. And what I'm going back to right now, what I'm theorizing is a lot of these judgments right now are based on resources and life and how much damage you can inflict. Because as we went back to it here, Street Fighter V is a game that rewards commitment and and, and and getting in someone's face, right? That's a huge part of this game. You can't play super safe and win. You're often playing to lose in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of waiting for the opponent to blow you up. So when you go in, I think a lot of times, and I'm especially finding this with a knot, it needs to be based on how many resources you have and how much life you have left. Is it worth taking that risk at that stage in the match um, and getting blown up for it or not? And, and it doesn't, it's not so much, in, and this is something you said with Nicole, it's not so much um, if you should do it, but when you should do it. You know that that Nikali is going to dash at you at some point once he pops V-Trigger. It has, he has to do it. It's too powerful a technique to leave on the table for the most part. So when is he going to do it? How do you get that thing on there? And, and so I think that we need as a community to look more at meters, life, and momentum of the match in terms of, of giving indicators of when someone is going to go in and try to just you know blow you up for it, basically. And we do talk about it right now with rhythm and with timing. We know that that um, you know commentary people they'll they'll say like, hey, you know you know Tokido's got a, a read on on Daigo's timing right now of when he wants to do stuff. Um, but I also think there's other indicators again. It's 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 DPing when I have seventy five percent or a hundred percent of my health left. You know, or yeah, I could die for this, but the odds of you being able to punish me properly um, are, are not good and and you've got momentum of the match, I need to break that momentum. And it's it's really unpacking the game for what it is. 
Um, and, and that's that's a huge part of, I think, where we need to start going more. And it's it's something that I'm finding that's helping me with my Minot. It's like, I'm having trouble with the Rashid matchup. And it's like, well, when am I going in? Like, why am I going in right now when Rashid has every advantage over me? I need to build up some resources first. And because he has a hell of a time getting in on Minot, right? Um, that's one thing Rashid does struggle with. Um, but I can't get enough of his life off of him um, just by by zoning. I can't do it. Like he's going to, if I try to zone the entire match, he's eventually going to outpace me and kill me because his offense is better than my defense once he has resources. So my counter to that is once I have resources from zoning him out, I go in on him. And all of a sudden, I've turned the tables. And and he's getting blown up now because he thinks I'm going to play defense. I'm staying unpredictable. I'm finding a lot more success now with, with really evaluating my overall strategy to the game and not just kind of like hoping I make the right reads, but being like, this is a good time to make this decision. This is a good time. I think I'm in a good spot. Stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I remember playing at Wednesday Night Fights and having a, um, a, a something of a problem when when I was winning, actually. Because uh, th- that's, this still applies to when you're winning, you have a, a certain uh, you know landscape in front of you in terms of how much life you have. You just look at the meters, right? You look at how much meter, mm-hmm. how much life, how much time, how much V-gauge in, in Street Fighter V specifically. Um, all of these different meters on the, the, uh, the screen help you dictate, well, this is the kind of decision I should make. And so when your life meter is higher than your opponent's, that usually means that you don't take as many risks because you don't have to, right? You put right. that onus on them and let them, you know, you hear let someone hang themselves. Um, yep. And so I was playing in Wednesday Night Fights and, and I kept winning and then losing at the last minute. And I remember Chris T com- specifically coming up and goes, dude, you don't have, you, you play a character with great fireballs and you're getting the life lead and then you're going in and you're putting yourself at disadvantage. Just hang back, you know, be aware mm-hmm. of that you have, you've earned this specific advantage. You've earned that your opponent has to take more risks now to get things going. Use that, you know, set yourself yes. up and, and use that. And if you're, if you're, uh, I mean, just, just when do you DP on wake up? I mean, I know you haven't been playing characters that have that, but you know, it's it's usually not when you're when you're um, you know right there. Well, like if you have a third of life left and you're winning, you mm-hmm. don't wake up DP, right? Because then you could yeah. throw the whole yeah. thing away. You're you're dead. Yeah. If you, if, I almost never bet it in those situations unless I've got a really hardcore situation where I'm almost positive you're going to do something dumb. I generally do my DPS with very off timing, um, and and I want people to just be like. Why did that idiot DP there? Like, why did he do that? Was stupid to DP there, and that's generally what I when I do it. And it's usually when people get a read on that that my stupid DP timing. That's when they start blowing me up for it, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I've also had games um, playing my friend uh, here in Arizona, Yusuf. He's a Guile player, um, and I've had tournament matches where I've just been destroying him. And he wake up DPs. There's one set where he woke up DP like six different times, all of which mm. would have cost him the entire set, but he hit on all of them. And I was just amazed. Mm. And it's like, well, at that point, the onus is on me. He's He was content to do that, and it was working, and I didn't make the adjustment. And like sometimes 
you know the the adjustment is just block but look at the the situation and look at the look at the tendencies you know what um one of the really cool things i remember driftwood doing was uh he was trying to get better at playing fey in street fighter 4 and his favorite fey player at the time was mago he looked at mago's matches and he looked at like 50 different matches and he noted on every like knockdown and every every situation that was relevant how many times mago woke up with dp how many times he woke up with uh well it would have been a crouch tech so like you know basically waking up with a button or a tech um and he just noted it and he, he calculated out the percentage of times um and and just based on this is general because it's a different situation and it's a different opponent every time so there's a whole other factor of reading what your opponent's been doing and getting into their trends but just in the basics of like this is how often he dp this is how often he woke up ex chicken wing you know this is how often he just did nothing and and you get an idea of, of what how these pros go about analyzing this and i think that there's a lot of valuable information there but it's so so easy to just get in and and not very scientifically play the game and just go with what your feeling is going to tell you in the moment which might just be hey i'm feeling anxiety i know that this move is invincible i'm going to use this move and then hope for the mm-hmm. best and then it doesn't work and you're right back into it again and it's the ken flow chart and did i learn anything nope start back at the beginning <laughs> right. and that's what right. you want to avoid um, yes. But it's also easy to fall in the trap of like, you're never supposed to wake up DP because that's not what people say you're supposed to do. And so I don't want to piss anybody off. And it's like, no, you do want to piss people off with wake up DPs. That's a whole part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But as long let's boil it down to something that's fairly digestible that you can take away because we've said a million different things. As long mm-hmm. as you can say, I did that DP because and then fill in the blank, then fine. It may or may not have worked. That's how this that's how these games play. But as long as you can say, I did it for, and, and the answer is not because I was flailing, then I think you're okay. And I think you're going to ultimately see better results. And sometimes you're going to Sometimes flail. you're going to flail too, because even top players do that. You know, it's like, uh, I panicked. Oh no, I had to do it. And that's okay. Like, you try not to panic next time. But yeah, I, I agree. You need to have intent on what you're doing. And, so, and it's okay to not know what that intent was sometimes. We do stuff subconsciously. As we kicked off the, this discussion, some people play by Phil, some people play by science. Uh, it's good to, to meld those two things together to understand why you're doing what you're doing so you can unpack if it's the right or wrong choice on a, uh, on a more detailed level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, for example, I, I, I said that, you know, I, I, I blow up um, uh, people's timing. I try to blow it up with my DPs with off-time DPs. Well, the counter to that is like I'm oftentimes not waking up with a DP, right? Because that's reversal timing. That's pretty much expected. You do a delayed meaty, basically. And, and if you do a delayed meaty, um, uh, you'll – and I, I, you know, I try to do something or try to act on it. Like it's oftentimes you're going to get either pressure on me or you're going to blow me up for it. So there are technology counters as well to the, the meta stuff that we're talking about. Um, it's, it's really important. There's, there's a lot to juggle here. It's, it, it, and again, I go back to this game is, you know, chaotic. It's volatile. It's random. It's like, well, yes, but you're not seeing the, the calculations there as well. And if that is your go-to excuse, if that's your go-to reason of why you lost and other things, you're, you're, you're selling yourself short. You're not living up to what your potential is because you just don't know it. And it's okay not to know. You just need to find answers. And that's what we're trying to do here is, is put some science into this. Look at things like the meter. Look at things like the life lead that someone had. Look at their timing. Look at all that kind of stuff. Start trying to unpack that so that you take, you know, uh, when you're playing against someone who's high level and you start to understand more of, of what they did and the intent that was behind it. So then the valid criticism, though, of um, mm-hmm. if there is something to call uh, random or to say that, like, 
something in the game is is poorly designed is when you are fully aware that you know season two birdie is going to do the ex uh headbutt and you're ready for it and they do it and you have no answer and it's like well i just have to eat it that's to the point where i would say okay that's the developer taking away from the mental back and forth um but but i will say that uh, as much as that kind of stuff has been in Street Fighter V, they've been whittling away at it and, and minimizing mm-hmm. it further and further. And I think we're getting more and more to that place of, of you know perfect balance that we'll never get to. But I'm pretty damn happy. You know, there are, there are things, but I'm finding myself less and less feeling that I was ready for it and I still wasn't able to stop it. That's very yeah. few and far between now. And and so thank you, Capcom, for that. Yeah, thank you for toning down the media unblockables from Abigail. <laughs> I I love that on a level that's like oh it's like oh it's so so much nicer now. Um, and it's uh, putting proper risk reward into these games is so important. You know that that you it, that's where the robbery feelings really come in. And and we talked about that you know ad nauseum. But this is all wrapped up in, in very similar discussions here of of risk reward is something that that people just don't appreciate enough and evaluate enough in this game. Um, and, and I think that once we start to unpack it as a community, it's going to lead us all to a better place. And and we forget that we were playing you know Street Fighter Four for what eight or nine years or, or some long very long period of time where we had so much time to unpack unpack the meta and really level up as a community. We've only had three years of experience here with Street Fighter V, so we've had to, you know, expedite that process quite a bit. I think we've done a good job, but I, you know, I want us to go even further. I really want us to like get into the, you know, the the meat and bones of this and just completely understand uh uh completely is, is uh, too strong of a statement, but have a better, much higher level grasp of, of what we're looking at. Um so again, all of us can get better. All of us can understand more of, of what we're doing. It's all about leveling up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about you know sharing that knowledge and getting it out there. So. Yep, absolutely. I agree. All right, y'all. That wraps us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, John and I are coming in pretty much every week, very jazzed to do this pod. It's like yeah, we we very much look forward to it. Uh, we were a day late last week um, getting the pod up because of a, um, a Capcom Cup, and we actually had multiple multiple complaints about that. They're like, "You didn't even warn us that the pod was going to be like a day late." I'm like, "Holy crap!" Like the people are enjoying it and looking forward so much to like what we're doing and listen to us. You know, uh, I'm not going to call you an idiot, but myself being being an idiot like talk about this stuff like i'm like wow like i'm, I'm so impressed and happy uh, uh that we we are have a chance to 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 communicate with people in this way and that that people enjoy it like it's it's still a shock to me uh it, it, that people you know um uh, are coming up to us and talking about this and like they're so enthused about it um and it, it really warms our heart um and, and just you know thank you so much for listening again we say that a lot but we very much mean it uh it, it's it's just wonderful to be able to do this it's crazy. All those things that you just said, I was thinking them too. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, we will see you again very soon. See you guys. Thank you.